Everybody all comfortable? Too cold, too hot? Oh, now you're getting comfortable. Let's stand on our feet. Now, wait a minute. Do you have a Bible, though? Hold it up. Shake it a little bit. Or electronic device. Ooh, look at all those Bibles. We'll make the bookstore glad and the devil mad. Repeat after me if you believe this. Say, this Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible is a truth detector. Sin deflector. Faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. If you believe that, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap. Amen. Now, I'm going to read a few verses, but just in respect and honor of the Word of God, let's do stand on our feet as we just read this. There's only a few verses, so we'll stand and and uh, believe that there's power in this word. I'm reading from Numbers 21. It's a short little story. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Or, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. They began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here, nothing to drink. We hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. Many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses, cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake. Attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze. Attached it to a pole. So anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Now we ask you to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Well, with that story comes the title of this message, Snake Kebab, Snake on a Stick. The second title would be The Message of the Cross. So why a snake? Why? First, let's just go back and kind of remind ourselves what's going on during this time. First of all, if you've been in Sunday school at all, if you are a little older and watch that movie on TV, The Ten Commandments, you know the story about Moses going to Pharaoh, say, let my people go. And there was the ten plagues. He finally let them go. They leave Pharaoh from under bondage. And things are going good till they come to the Red Sea. And they look behind them. And there's an army. And they're caught in the middle. But God does an amazing miracle. Parts the Red Sea. And they walk on dry ground. So now they come to the wilderness. God leads them to the same mountain he revealed Moses to himself. He wants to teach them about him and his goodness and his plan. He also wants to show them their sinfulness and what's going on in their life. So now he leads them up to the edge of the promised land and sends some spies in. And they come back, oh, there's giants in the land. All the people's faith just began to fail. They didn't think God could deliver them from those giants. And so now God has to lead them back into the wilderness to wander around for 40 years till a generation dies because of their unbelief. That trip should have only taken 11 days if they were just going right from point A into the promised land. But because of what happened, now they're in the, still wandering around and now we come along this story. And we find out 
that when you read Numbers, the people got discouraged. They began to complain. And because of their unbelief, they'd forgotten that the sin got them in that place. They were blaming Moses for bringing them into the wilderness. The judgment for their sin was God sending poisonous snakes into the camp and they began to die. So they knew they had sinned. So now they come to Moses, confess their sin, ask Moses to plead to God for them. And then God instructs Moses, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole so the people could be healed. See, God's teaching them something about faith. It's totally illogical for you to look at a snake on a stick and be healed from a snake bite. That's just not logical. That doesn't happen. But part of God's plan was in faith they would look on that thing and they would be healed. It took an act of, act of faith to follow along with God's plan. Now, a couple of additional lessons are taught in the Bible regarding this bronze serpent. The people got healed when they looked at it. They kept it around for a few years. Matter of fact, they carried it into the promised land, and a few years later, they began to worship it. Okay? That shows how easy the things of God, we can twist them into idolatry. We must never worship the tools or the people God chooses to use. We've always got to bring glory and honor to Jesus and God, you know, to God alone. You know, the next reference we find in the Bible to this serpent on the stick is John 3, 14. Right before the very popular verse, John 3, 16, it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. It's a picture of Jesus being lifted up on a stick, nailed to a cross. And then it says in Galatians 3, 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. So Jesus take away the sin from anybody who's willing to look upon him in faith. Just like they looked on the snake, on the stick, Paul's reminding us, and the Galatians, when he wrote that, that Jesus became a curse for us, although he was blameless, sinless, he was the spotless lamb, he died and broke the curse of sin and death over us. In the Old Testament, if they sinned, the only th way to make things right, they took a nice, fuzzy little, white, pure lamb, slit its throat and let the blood spill. The blood had to be shed for the covering of sins. There were thousands and thousands of different animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament just so the priest could come once a year to re ask for forgiveness for sins. But God in his plan takes his only son, the spotless lamb of God. He's called the lamb of God. He was sacrificed. His blood was shed. But it was once and for all, one sacrifice for our sins past, present, and future. But the same way God didn't remove those poisonous snakes from those people, he doesn't remove the consequences of sin. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, there's pain, there's suffering, there's death. It's a consequence of a sin-stained world. But God provided a way for us to live and not suffer eternal death and damnation. If we look to Jesus, he'll heal us from the poisonous effects of sin. So the cross, what is the message of the cross? First of all, the cross stands out as one of the most recognizable, controversial symbols in world history, okay? Without question, it's been abused, misused, and worshiped. Some of the world's greatest abuse has been done in front of the cross. Yet the cross is on top of churches, on the covers of Bibles, on pulpits, hanging in our homes, whatever the case may be. It's popular among believers and unbelievers. It's part of our wardrobe. We've got, cris we've got cross rings, cross earrings, cross necklaces, cross tattoos, cross grave markers. I feel like I'm in a Forrest Gump movie. Shrimp this, that. All kinds of cross things. T-shirts and bumper stickers. It's worn by priests and prostitutes. Soldiers and Christians, even terrorists. 
The sign of the cross is made by somebody for ball games, some at their lunch, some as they come into church. Cross-carrying has never been viewed in the historical sense as a pleasure or in the early years as a work of art or an object of art. People died horrible, bloody, agonizing, tortured deaths on the cross. It was a symbol of the worst in man. Even the most ancient Christian art is full of blood at the scene of the crucifixion. The art shows suffering and agony. It's more of an ugly picture. Now, the modern cross, it's all cleaned up. No more flies flying around the blood-stained faces. No more the smell of death or the sound of the hammers hitting those nails and driving through the flesh. It's all been cleaned up now. Matter of fact, you know, in the, now the cross is gold or silver, maybe even studded, diamonds or emeralds. And in the early days of the cross, people would see one, turn away with disgust or ridicule. You know, today we say, man, that's a beautiful cross you got there. Man, where'd you get that cross? While I was at Hobby Lobby, Miss Dorothy pointed me to aisle number three to the sale going on. Got this beautiful cross. You make fun. We got crosses in our home. But in the early days, you know, when you ask, you know, what did that cost? Well, what did it cost? It cost the father his son. It cost the son his life. And it cost us everything. Even though it's free, it cost us everything. So here's what Jesus said about the cross. Luke 9, 23. He said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple slash Christian must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news and not with clever speech for the fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we are being saved, know it is the very power of God. And the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this lead the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brightest debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. The Gentiles say it's nonsense. But those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakest, weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. I mean, that's the gospel right there. You know, but it's a strange message to think that life could come out of death. The Bible says to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. They were looking for signs. They weren't expecting their Messiah to come in on this little donkey riding into town. They thought he'd be in his big chariot with 26-inch rims riding in on these horses, having their royal, you know, garments on, leading them into battle, and they would have probably followed him. But you know what? The cross got in the way. And then it says the Greeks, it said, they looked for wisdom. They were some of the great thinkers of the day. They produced men like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, men of, men of great reason. But reason tells you that babies aren't born from a virgin. You know, reason tells you that God doesn't become flesh. Reason tells you that an almighty God would not allow mere humans to nail him to a cross. And reason tells you when a man dies, he can't be resurrected back to life. See, none of that makes sense. So the Greeks looked at it as foolishness. The cross got in the way. You know, the message of the cross of Christ, it's still a strange message to those who do not and have not experienced his life-changing power. 
You know, I was going to show a testimony right now on video of Vernon. It's a, a lock and a guy in our church. It's a powerful testimony. But and the Holy Spirit just quickened me today that you needed to hear somebody live, particular for this service. So, Ron, one of our elders, you come up. He'll give you a mic. Just stand right here. And just, you know, shortly just tell him where you're at and how God changed your life. Praise God. Good morning. I need that. <laughs> Praise God. I put you on the spot. Always, but the Holy Spirit did. Always, always. But I guess it was the Holy Spirit. You know, when he asked me to speak for a second, I said, um, what do I say? And God said, tell the truth. <laughs> you know, the people need to hear the truth. Ah, Jesus. 2005, when we came here, I did not want to be in Texarkana. Hurricane Katrina brought me back here. Um, Texarkana was the place where everybody knows your business. And I was trying to keep my business inside me. I was on my, this is my third marriage, but luckily I have a queen. We've been married 24 years, so I'm glad of that. Amen. You know, so God is good. So I, I just, I just want to tell you how good God is for a second. When we came here uh, in 2005, I didn't think I was worthy. I didn't deserve to be in anybody's church. I knew who God was, but I just kept falling back on my past. And I said, you're not worthy to be in church. But when we came here, the church opened up with, with open arms. See, I, I needed a church that could minister to me. I didn't need nobody to preach to me. I got preached to all my life. And half the time, I didn't understand what they were saying. But when I came here, Pastor John just kind of ushered me in and took me on his wings. But he said, I can't use you until you decide to move forward. And, and he said that so clear, and, and, I, and I received that. So as I moved forward... Then, and as I start learning my word, I, I, you know, I don't know all my Bible verses, but, you know, God has spoke to me. He takes me around the world, so, he, you know, he, he puts things in me. And he reminded me of Saul. And because of Saul, I'm saved. Because Saul turned to Paul. And if you know the story of Saul, Saul wasn't a good man. I wasn't a good man. But God felt good enough to save me. So as I move forward into life, you know, you got to get the spirit in you to understand the spirit. You know, it's, it's so easy to sit on the outside. It's so easy to come here. It's so easy to read the Bible. But until you decide to say, you know what, I, I want some of what he's got. I want some of what Church on the Rock has. So that's when I decided to even get more into the church. But as I moved on forward, life was going good. I got a beautiful church home. I mean, it's good to have a good church home because I didn't know if I died where it was going to bury me. I, I didn't know who was going to do my service. You know, but I know now I'm good. I got friends, man. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with leukemia. Chronic leukemia. My wife sat beside me. I was crying because I never thought it could happen to me. You know, like, no way, this is me. I work out, I take care of myself, this will never happen. So when I was sitting there crying in the office, my wife looked at me. She said, what are you doing? She said, you stop crying right now. And she said, you have leukemia, yes, but you don't decide when you leave here. You don't decide when you leave here. Well, I can tell you it's been three years and I haven't took one pill. That, that's, that's who the God that we serve. So I just want to end on this note right here. You know, it's so easy to get in the presence of the Lord, but do you really know him? That's it. Now watch what I'm about to say. Today at the end of the church, the pastor is going to say, if you haven't been saved, come up. I want to challenge those that, that, that have backslid. Something's going to try to hold you in your seat today. I was one of them. 
It's going to hold you so tight, you don't want to go up there. They're going to talk about you. But until you get God in your life, you can't move forward. You can't move forward. I want you, before you leave here, look around and see who you, who's beside you. All colors. We don't care. We love you where you're at. That's why I'm in church, and I'm going to end on this. The reason I'm in church is because when I was coming up and why I feared church, because when I was younger, I went to an all-black church. Right across the street was all-white church. But we say we love each other, but we couldn't even get together. The Bible says, not run, thou shalt love your neighbor. Thou shalt love your neighbor. So if you're trying to take it to the next level, you have to love your neighbor. So I promise you, when that devil tried to hold, don't worry about it. I don't care how long you've been going to church. Everybody here has sin. Really, we should have a flood that comes up here today. But we won't. But I promise you, that person decides to take that step, your life will be changed forever. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I want to remind you, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. Amen. Let's talk about the cross. Death of Christ on the cross was one of absolute torture. And he knew what was coming, not just because he was God and knows the beginning and the end, but as a child, he probably walked along those roads where they crucified Christians. At one point during his time, there was 2,000 Christians crucified in just one little season. So he knew what it was like. Does anybody know what it's like going to the dentist? And you kind of, once you know, you, you don't want to go back. Even though, den thank God, dentists has come a long way from when I was in the little town of 800 in this little room where the guy had plugged in the Black and Decker drill and, and tried to take care of you. <laughs> pastor talked about last week when he had to go to the dentist, all this going on in his mind. And pray for our pastor if you haven't figured it out yet. Uh, pastor John's not here. He's with his family in Mississippi with his mom and dad and Pastor Linnell. Really pray for her because she's got a whole team in Mexico on a mission trip and pray they're protected and just have a great time. But it, then again, I don't know that we need to pray for Pastor John because he'll do like I do. If your wife leaves, go hang out at mama's house. She'll take care of you, right? And so he's being taken care of. But Jesus was whipped with a cat of nine tails. It's called a flagellum. That's a whip with leather strands on it. At the end of each piece of leather strand, there's a piece of glass or pottery or metal. Those Roman soldiers would take it, and he was flogged naked, wrapped to a pole. They would, those pieces of metal and glass would stick in their back, and then they would rip it off. After tests on cadavers, after not even 20 lashes, organs are exposed. He took 39 of those. And then they pulled his beard hair out just grabbed it and pulled it out of his face. Have you just pulled an eyebrow, one eyebrow thing out? My word. But then they took a rod and beat him. It's possible up to 600 soldiers from the nearby barrack were a part of that. And then they threw a scarlet robe over that torn body with all the blood clotting. About the time it probably stuck to it, then they ripped it back off because it was time for him to carry that cross beam, that horizontal beam on the cross. They would strap it to their shoulders, balance it, tie his arms to it, and then he would carry it the two-mile journey up to the execution point. And so if he fell, he wouldn't be able to catch himself. He'd probably fall right on his face. You know, maybe after several times falling, that's when they finally got the other guy to help and carry it the rest of the way. When he reaches that point, there's some kind Jewish women there that offer him some wine and myrrh. It's a mixture. It's a sedative to kind of help ease the pain. 
And he refused that. And then the way they probably did it was they had that long vertical beam on the ground. They laid that cross beam on there, fasten it. Then they would nail him probably to his wrist to support the weight, nail his hands up there. They had a little pedestal for the feet, and they put both of them together and drive a nail through his feet. And then they would take that cross, hoist it up, boom, drop it in a stand. And when they do that, his shoulders would probably dislocate. That's why to breathe, they would have to, he'd have to just raise up and down just to be able to breathe so he wouldn't suffocate, and that's the way you usually die. People are left up there sometimes for two days, but the next day was Sabbath, and the good people didn't want to do anything bad on the Sabbath, so they were going to have mercy and break their legs because then you couldn't raise up and breathe anymore. So as they break the thief's legs, they get to Jesus, they realize he's already dead. Because the Bible said there was not going to be one bone broken on his body. Over 400 prophecies about Jesus coming. You know the odds of that? Of one man fulfilling 400 prophecies? You take the state of Texas, fill it with quarters one feet deep, throw one quarter in there, and then send coal out and say, find that. That's the odds of one man fulfilling all those prophecies. As a matter of fact, there's a, name, a man by the name of Josh McDowell who in the 70s was tired of all the Christians preaching about Jesus on his college campus in Stanford. He got so upset, he said, I'm going to disprove Christianity. You can talk about dinosaurs, whatever, and there's good explanations for those, by the way. But you've got to go to the cross to, to disprove Christianity. You've got to go to that cross. And when he started studying and getting the information, you know what happened? He wrote two volumes called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He became a Christian. The atheist became a Christian because there's so much evidence. I mean... You can go on about the evidence of that. It's just amazing. But I'm going to ask you, he, Jesus hung up there for about six hours. Have you picked up your cross? Have you had an encounter with the cross? Better yet, have you had an encounter with the one who hung on that cross, Jesus Christ? Because if you did, there'd be a change in your life. You know, there was a time in my life, I was raised in the Lutheran church, and I had catechism. I understood the things of God. I got to college, though. I was just, I was more like the devil, just doing my own thing, going crazy. But I remember one time, and it was after college, that I became more aware, and I said this prayer. You know, maybe going to the FCA meetings, and okay, I'll say this prayer. Jesus, come into my life. But I, was, I wasn't going toward the cross. I was still going my own way, doing my own thing. I go to the FCA, FCA meeting. I pull Jesus out of my pocket. Say, hey, look, I'm a Christian. And then I'd hear about the beer party that night, and I'd tuck him back in, and off I go, my own way. My life did not change. But April 14, 1984, and I was kind of at the top of my game, playing pro football, had a nice girl, nice car, things going well, and a guy asked me one simple question in a chapel survey for a football game. If you died, would you go to heaven or hell? All of a sudden, everything kind of stopped. And I thought, ooh. Wonder if I do more good than bad. That'll get me in. Maybe I can talk my way in. I'm trying to reason things out. And the guy explained things very simply for the first time I heard the gospel. God loves me and has a plan for my life. Because of my sin, I'm separated from God. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Through him, I can only experience God's love. But the final thing I never heard, you have to individually ask him into your life. That's where you become born again. That's where you have a personal relationship. Religion tries to change it from the outside in. What I'm talking about is having a relationship like what Ron talked about where you invite Jesus on the inside and he changes you from the inside out. And so I'm going to take that word cross. It's going to be an acronym. I'm going to go through these letters fairly quickly. 
the little letters will help me stay on course, but also it'll give you a little handle to take this message home. And maybe you'll remember the word cross and you'll be able to, Holy Spirit will bring up that the first C, the C in the word cross stands for change. Say change. Because if you're a Christian, if you had an encounter with the cross, an encounter with Christ, there'll be a change in your life. Because he said, you got to pick up your cross if you're going to be a Christian. I don't know about you, but when you carry something, you walk different, don't you? I helped my son carry some things in the house. There's a real heavy thing in my left hand. You know, you're just kind of walking different, trying to get it in. If you pick up your cross, you're going to walk different, aren't you? Than before you were a Christian. Your walk should change. It should be more like Christ. Here's what he says to the crowd. If anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. I think the title of his message that day would have been, No Cross, No Crown. You can't get to heaven without the cross. You can argue philosophy and religion, but it's hard to argue a changed life. And that's what I know there's a God, because I knew where I was going and how God changed me. If you pick up the cross, it'll change you. The R in the word cross is righteous. Say righteous. It's a big churchy word, but really all it means is to be right with God. Okay, to be right with God. To be free from sin and guilt. Sin, when you find out what it means, it's an archery term that means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. So anything other than a perfect bullseye is sin. Has anybody sinned? If you're to commit a million lies, how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? commit a million sins, how many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? Just one. But even if you don't know what sin is, you know what guilt is, don't you? I mean, even the three and four-year-old kid, when they get in trouble, they start, oh, they, they feel bad. They know they did wrong. And you know what guilt is when you do something wrong. And there's that little voice that tells you, don't do that. We call it what? The conscience. But really, it's the Holy Spirit trying to help you, trying to get you to God. Like, you don't want to get involved in that relationship, please? Oh, yeah, but I love him. And he's trying to save you from some hurt. And I remember when I was in college, if somebody said, I dare you to do that, there's these, you men, there's three words that you'll say that at the end of those three words, you'll have a broken bone, a wrecked car or bicycle, depending on how old you are. You'll end up in jail or get a fine. When somebody tell me, I bet you can't drive through that ditch and come out the other Hold my beer. Those are those three words that'll get you in a lot of trouble. You church people wouldn't understand that, but, but I thank God he delivered me from that life. I wouldn't be married for 40 years if I'd have continued down that road. But thank God for a wonderful wife, four children that serve in the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, all are guilty, and that guilt drives you to seek release from all the mental, emotional, physical effects caused by sin. Here's the solutions the world offers. Social reform, new philosophies, escape through drugs, magic, witchcraft, the occult, denial, I don't have any sin. You can try all these things and never find relief. Why? Because none of those so-called solutions can do what the cross does. Remove the cause of the guilt, which is sin. The other things deal with the symptoms of sin, but the cross eliminates the root cause, sin itself. It says in 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we were healed. Yes, there's physical healing that was paid for on that cross, but healing from mental and emotional, spiritual things going on in your life. But righteousness is a gift from God. You can't earn it. Romans 3, 21. 
But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. When you look on Jesus, when you look on that, stake, that snake on a stick, Jesus. You know, do you struggle with feeling good enough for God? Good enough for his blessings or his favor? Maybe you're working to live for righteousness. You try to get closer to God through works or, or comparing yourself to others in hopes of finding some place where you finally feel like you deserve to be called righteous. You know, we're going to watch a testimony of a girl in our church, young lady, who um, was kind of playing the church thing for a while. Let's watch. Hi, my name is Greta Sexton, and this is my story. I grew up in a Christian home and became uh, a follower of Jesus when I was just a little kid. And we grew up going to church and just had a very loving uh, family. I married young and... I thought that going into my marriage that because my childhood was so great and because we were Christian people that our life was going to be easy. Um, but I learned the hard way that that is not the truth um, for anyone and we started going through some hard times. I struggled a lot with my self-worth and um, as my marriage started to crumble I started looking outside of my home for um, things that would make me happy and I made a lot of bad decisions and bad choices that also led to a lot of guilt that I struggled with on top of that. One year God opened the doors for me to start a ministry and it was something that I'd always dreamed of doing so it was like a dream come true and I felt like God was just giving me a chance to start over and, and make things right with him. So I poured everything into this ministry and just just really tried hard to please God in, in everything that I was doing. But unfortunately, some of the sins that I had put on the back, on the shelf in my life, crept back into my life. And um, I started pretty much leading two different lives. Since my ministry was the only thing I could control, that's what I began to focus all my energy on. And I, I put my family, even my children, on the back burner and um, it really became an idol in my life. And I, for some reason, thought that that was my relationship with God. The more I could do for God in my ministry, um, the more it would make up for the other things I was doing that I didn't want anyone to know about. And um, one day, it just, my life came crashing in. God pulled out the rug from under me and um, all of my secrets were out in the open. I lost my ministry and my marriage was falling apart and I just I just hit the lowest point in my life. And I found myself crying out to God for him to just rescue me from the, the mess I had made of my life. For the first time, I really felt what it was to be in a real relationship with God. I poured my, uh, I poured over his word and spent hours in prayer and I just felt him speaking to my heart and I realized that my self-worth is not based on what I do for the Lord but 
what he's done for me. I wish that I had realized years ago that um, a relationship with God wasn't based on what I was doing for him or how I was performing for him, but just spending time with him and hearing hearing from him. And um, I still go through I still go through a lot of things that are really hard and God is putting me through, he's put me through challenges that I know I could not face without him. So I just want to encourage anyone that's struggling with their own self-worth to realize that you can't earn his love, but he's already given it to you and he just wants you to accept it. Amen. Amen. Now, here's something that might make your mind kind of, if you're a Christian, you can't earn righteousness because you already are righteous. You might be thinking, well, I don't feel righteous. That doesn't make it any less true. The moment you were born again, you became righteous. Not perfect, not holy, but righteous, right with God. How? By faith in Jesus Christ, putting your trust in him. Romans 5, 17, listen to this version. It's an amplified version, kind of stretches it out a little bit. Much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favor, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them in right standing with God himself, reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. It says kings in life. I want to ask you a question. Are you king over anger or are you a slave to it? Are you a king over sexual temptation or are you a slave to it? Are you a king over your emotions or do you bow down to your emotions? Because righteousness is a very powerful force. It really is. Listen to what, this is a very short verse, but it's very powerful. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. It's telling us that you can wake up to this fact that God has his power available to you. You can wake up, and if you do, you won't sin. But the last part of that tells why people aren't getting the revelation. You do not have the knowledge of God. I mean, yes, I mean, come to our Sunday school classes. Come to our Bible study groups. Come to our Connect class and learn about it. But it's more than a hidden knowledge. When it says the knowledge of God, that word knowledge is talking about having an intimate relationship. Do you know God? You know where the Bible says, and Adam knew Eve? That's how they had babies. You adults, catch up. You keep quiet over there. <laughs> to know somebody means to be intimate with. Are you in, do you have a relationship with God? That's what it's talking about. And when you do, all of a sudden this thing will wake up in you. Man, I'm righteous. I didn't have to earn it. I can receive this and trust God. And then what? It says you will not sin. You'll have power over it when you wake up to that. And then you can come to bold, God boldly in your prayer time. Realize, man, I'm a child of God. He's a good daddy. He's for me, not against me. And I can pour out my heart to him. The letter O in the word cross is obedience. Say obedience. Hebrews 5, 9, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who do what? Obey. Obey. That's the key word there. 1 John 2, 3 and 4. We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and there's not any truth living in him. Who's the father of lies? Who's your daddy? Hopefully God. If you come to the cross, you've given your life to Christ, you should not be living in sin. Okay? You should not be shacked up with sin, living with it. 
I'm not saying you're not going to sin, but you had a, I was going one way in my life and I was just hanging out with sin. But then when I really repented, I turned, I said, God, help me. I began to fall. I want to go in a different direction. Yeah, I might still fall down. There were some things I was holding on to. The Holy Spirit was saying, let go of that. Let, and I, no, no, no. But I, I, I. And then it would usually cause hurt or damage of some sort. And I finally said, okay. And I trust God and I'd go on. And then that's a process of being sanctified, getting closer to God. He'll help you do that. All right? Becoming a Christian is more than just saying a prayer. That's, it's as easy as saying a prayer, and that's where it starts, but there's something a little more to that. And, and that's, that's where it started with me. I said that prayer, and, but man, then things started to change. It's a free gift of salvation, but it costs you everything. You've got to be willing to give up your life. But you know what you're giving up? You're giving up rags for riches. You're giving up dirt for diamonds. I mean, what a great exchange, Amen. giving up all that stuff. John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Following Jesus' example is not optional. It should be a way of life. But it's not entirely possible without spending time in his word. You got to learn what, how he walks. You spend time with him. You read his word. That's how you find out. This thing's a mirror, it says. It's like looking in a mirror. Aren't you glad for those friends that's, you know, where you got spaghetti sauce all over your face? You, you got a little something right there. You might want to wipe that off. Well, the Bible is say, hey, you got a little uh, issue here. Let's get, let's get it worked out, okay? See, condemnation is from the devil. It says you're no good, just like you heard Ron. You, you shouldn't go to church. You're just a hypocrite. You don't need to be there. That, that's condemnation. It keeps you away from the cross. It pushes you away. You're, uh, you're too bad to read this Bible. Conviction, the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you messed up. Now get to church. Or you messed up, now read your Bible. Or you messed up, get down to the cross, get down to the altar today and get some prayer. That's what the Holy Spirit does, is he wants to help you. He's for you, not against you. The next letter, the letter S is saved. Say saved. And also the Greek word for saved starts with an S. It's sozo. Say sozo. It has the basic meaning of rescuing one from great peril. Additional meanings include to protect, keep alive, preserve life, deliver, heal, be made whole. That means you know, being taken care of physically or spiritually, your life protected. So the cross salvation means more than being saved from your sins so you can go to heaven. When you truly get saved, heaven comes down to you. It'll deliver you from sin and sickness, from disease and demons, from bad attitudes and addictions, ultimately from death and hell. Yes, salvation from sin, but also healed, saved, delivered. And my last letter in the letter S stands for set free. Say set free. And if you like the last letter, the fact that it's the last one, you can give the Lord a hand clap if you want. All right? When you pick up your cross, there's freedom. That's strange. You're picking up something that seems heavy, but there's freedom in that. You know, most young people, when you go and uh, talk to them that have been in prison or JDC, they wish they would have had somebody that would have given them some boundaries and rules. They, I mean, we thrive in those situations. When you really have the right boundaries, you can thrive. I used to think this Bible is something that spoiled my fun. Man, it's a book of success. You do what it says to do, you'll be prosperous. You'll be successful. I tell you, it... Isn't it just feel good to drive down the interstate going the speed limit and not worrying about getting picked up, 
I mean, isn't there a freedom? You're just driving along, waving at the cops. Yeah, I'm going the speed limit. Oh, then you, oh, is my inspection good? Okay, we're good there. There's just a freedom in that. But what happens, even when you're going the speed limit and you see the red lights, you hit the brakes. You're going the speed, you may even go under the speed limit, but for some reason, you see the law, you respond to it. In the presence of the law, you're just aware of that and you just do that. How much more in the presence of God? That it just helps you. Man, start your day. Talk to God. Praise Him. Thank Him. He'll show up. Put on some worship music if that helps. But I'm telling you, start your day in the presence of the Lord and realizing He's there with you. Man, that'll, that's the biggest deterrent to sin there is. You know, sometimes we don't like ourselves very much. Sometimes it begins in our youth. Uh, we get messages that say we're not okay, we're not loved. We grow older, we try to improve, we try to quiet the inner voices that says you're not worthy, you're no good, you'll never be good enough. And children who grew up believing they're not okay become angry, depressed, and frightened, turn into insecure adults that often end up raising kids of the same kind. But the cross of Christ has the power to break that cycle because it loudly and clearly says, I love you, you're okay now. When nobody cares about you, even you don't care about yourself, the cross says, I care. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, even if you would have been the only person here. I believe that. That's how much God loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. And again, it's about a relationship. Religion tries to change it from the outside. It's our best effort to reach God. But a relationship is where God comes in. And changes us from the inside out. And when did he die for us? Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. You cannot get right to get God. You got to get God to get right. I mean, there's no use cleaning up your house before the maid comes. Just let her do it. You're paying her anyhow. And you, you can't get this life clean enough. I tried those times where you're trying to kind of be the better person. I, man, I tried cussing, stop cussing one time. And I went for like two or three days till I was hammering away and hit my thumb and that was done. But again, you can't argue with changed life because I know the way my mouth was, and my wife's was worse, by the way, Believe it or not, little Miss Sharon. But God changed it. What's coming out of my mouth? I mean, to me, that's just, that's a miracle how that can happen. Let's watch one more short testimony. And before we do, the one umbrella we have as Christians, it's called peace. That's the one thing, if you're not a Christian, you don't have. And you won't find it at the end of a joint or bottom of a bottle. You only find it under the Prince of Peace. Because you're either one or the other. You're either saved or you're not saved. You go to heaven or you go to hell. You're right with God or you're not. You're a saint or an ain't. It's one of the two. There's no gray areas. So make sure you're right before you leave here today. Let's listen to Amarian. Hey, guys. My name's Amarian Rashid. Um, this is my story from when I didn't know Jesus to when I encountered, encountered Jesus, my Lord and Savior. When I was a second old until two years old. Um, I did not know Jesus. Um, my mom used drugs when I was in the womb. Um, 
And then at the age of three, she kept doing it. So then I got adopted into another family. And um, so um, my mom that adopted me, um, she's a Christian and now I accepted Jesus because she took me from a boy that did not know Jesus to a boy that got baptized and know Jesus fully. And um, I think I got baptized by the age of seven. From that moment forward after I got baptized, I um, loved the family and I loved Church on the Rock um, and all the things that they do here. I love Jesus and the more I read my Bible, the closer and closer I get to Jesus instead of the further and further away I get from Jesus. Now, looking back from the past, I have gotten so much further away from all the chaos, all the destruction, and I'm coming into the light. So if you, um, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your life will be changed too. Amen. Wise words from a young man. You know, as I finish, my left hand represents me with my sins unforgiven, okay? This white cloth, this represents Jesus, his righteousness, his holiness, his purity. Now, if I stand before God with my sins uncovered, I'm not going to heaven. The wages of sin is death, separated from God to a place called hell. And so I would not enter in. But if I submit my life, if I come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, when God the Father looks down, what does he see? He sees his son and his righteousness. My sins are covered. I'm not going to be held accountable for when I go to heaven. You know, a pastor shared that story and he got a letter a few days later. And it read like this. Dear Dr. Pritchard, yesterday I was in the second morning service when you used the white cloth to illustrate how we could be righteous in God's sight. I was reminded of the illustration which my mother had used. She used the Chinese character righteous to make the same point. She was a missionary to the Chinese. The Chinese character righteous has two parts. The top part means sheep, while the bottom part means I or me. So in righteous in Chinese is literally sheep over me. When God looks down on me, he sees the lamb, the Christ, and declares me righteous. Isn't that amazing? You know, God has no other plan of salvation and doesn't need one. The same cross that offends the world and judges the world saves the world. He was on a cross, a thief on each side of him. One thief was saved that none should despair. One thief was lost that none should presume. That cross that saved one condemned the other. But there's a condition. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Even the death of Christ can't save you unless you believe in him. But it takes a little more than just belief in the head. Because the Bible says even demons believe and they tremble. But you got to put your trust in. I mean, come under the lordship of Jesus. Be willing to follow him. And I'm telling you, then things will change. And so as we close, they're going to start singing a song. But I want to ask you, if you die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell?
And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand like I did. I mean, I raised my hand, and that was the moment. I repeated a little prayer, but man, God began to change my life from the inside. See, right now, with all these testimonies, for some of you, God's been knocking at your heart. You might be the first time here, and I'm going to tell you, this is a divine appointment. You're not promised tomorrow, and we know that even more so in what we're living through right now. But that door he's knocking on in your heart, it only has a handle on the inside. Only you can open it. There's no handle on the outside. God's not going to force his way in. So if you're not sure if you'd go to heaven, if you want to ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if you've just been playing church and you're a Christian, but you're not really following Jesus, would you just raise your hand so we can say a prayer? Close your eyes first. I want everybody to close your eyes. Let's just start between you and God. You're not joining the church right now. I see a hand already over there. Anybody else? Hold up your hand if you want to get things right with God. See your hand, your hand, your hand. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and let's sing that song. I'm just going to wait a minute. Let's sing through this verse. Don't come to the altar, the Father's arms right with God. I'm going to ask you to do something real bold. I'm going to ask you to do like that song says, come to the altar. You're coming to Jesus. You're walking away from your life, whatever fears and pride and whatever, and you're really at, you're serious about this. So right now, would you come stand with me? And we're just going to say a prayer. If you raise your hand, and there's several that didn't raise your hand, but you know during that song, you need to get down here right now. Come on. Give them a hand clap. We've all done this at some point. Come stand right here. Amen. some more people. Come on down. Hallelujah. You just kind of face me for a second. Just come look at me. And as they're coming, I want a church person, somebody that knows Jesus, to come stand behind each one of these people. Men with men, women with women. And we're going to say a prayer. The Lord's had his hand on you this whole service. I don't know your name or anything, but this is a new beginning today. This is a new beginning today. You remember this day. Halloween, the devil's famous for this day. But God just redeemed it for you guys. Amen. Today's a new day. I don't care how many times you've done this or not. Amen. Anybody else? Look to the person beside you. Say, you need to go up there. I'll go up there with you and help them go up. Look, ask them, are you sure you'd go to heaven? Ask them if they're sure. We're not promised tomorrow. And just walk down with them and stand with them. We'll wait just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, just bless these that are here, Lord. I just, I just declare their sins forgiven. I break the spirit of death off of them in Jesus' name. I release life in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. As I lay hands on them, just a symbol, Lord, that you're touching them. Lord, and you're going to go with them and walk with them. 
Now let's say this prayer together. Everyone in this room can repeat after me, but especially you, you're giving God permission to come live on the inside. Just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Come into my life. Change me. I need your help. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit to follow you. And I thank you. Today, you're my father. I'm your child. My name's written in a book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to give you a packet. If you'll just fill out this little card with just your name and number on it, and I want the person behind them, I want you to make a commitment. Church, this is where I really felt God. If we'll be faithful with who God brings us and help them in their walk, then God will bring more. That's what revival is. And so I'm going to ask you, if you can just come back next week. If you can't tell the person behind you, work out a time. If you can come a little before service, between service or after service, they just want to go over with this little book in here. This little book right here, I'll tell you how to walk the walk. It'll tell you how to, that, about getting baptized and all those things. Read that book. And a matter of fact, my altar worker behind them, you can grab an extra one of these books, be familiar with it, or just have them write your phone number in that book. Or you get there somehow and just meet with them once or twice. Okay? Because I'm telling you, something's happening today. So all you need to do is fill out that card. We'll give you a packet. I'm leaving it up to you workers. The rest of us, if you need to be up here, come on up. Otherwise, let's sing this song once through. And just pray God's hand upon these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't come to the I do want to invite our prayer team down front. And if you need prayer for anything at all, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, we're going to stay here and worship a bit longer if you'd like to worship with us. Uh, for everyone else, you can be dismissed at any time. And we just pray that you'd have a blessed day today.